survival proves that the site is correct. Because everything's written in the book. It's already telling you what happened there, and that's why you're able to understand what's happening. That's why a trip to Israel is very important. And no, it's not Arabs on camels going up and down on pandas. Okay, the land of Israel is very rich, it's very green, and it's very prosperous. Okay? So keep it in mind the next time you're thinking of doing something, you know, a holy site isn't St. Thomas or St. Croix in the Caribbean. It's a holy land. All right? So think about it. There is a tour coming, uh, I think, in 2024, in November, October? No, it's. Okay. Sign up. You've got plenty of time to save up your money. Okay? It's an experience that only comes once in a lifetime. Change your life. You'll read scripture totally differently. Okay? The book is not going to be two-dimensional anymore. It's going to be three-dimensional. Because every time you talk of and you read about a site, the vision can come up while I'm standing there. It's real important. Okay, what are we doing here? Okay, this is the coastline in, in Israel. Israel is not a very big country. It's about the size of New Jersey. Right? You could drive the width of Israel from the Mediterranean to the Jordan in about maybe an hour, an hour and a half. All right? But it's got a variety of everything there. Right now, it's snowing on Mount Hermon, on the Golan Heights, okay? Uh, it's quite green. We got four seasons and everything. It's not like most places in the Middle East where it's like unbearable to go in the summertime. Not at all. Mediterranean climate. All right. This is the fourth city of, of uh, Caesarea, built by King Herod the Great 2,000 years ago. He built it so that there'll be commerce from Galilee to go to the rest of the world. Okay, this is also a real important place. This is where uh, Peter is going to affront Cornelius. This is where Paul will be in prison for a number of years. And he opens up his heart and he gives his testimony to Herod Agrippa. All right, you know, Herod Agrippa will say, wow, after hearing you, you almost want to turn me into a Christian. And once again, this is the port area along the coast. And that's good. Uh, for some reason, everyone calls this an amphitheater. It ain't true. This is a theater. An amphitheater is a complete circle. Like the Colosseum in Rome, a theater is a half a circle, not an amphitheater. This is for entertainment, for, for gatherings, for crowds, for plays, traumas. An amphitheater is to kill people. Gladiatorial ring, okay? So remember the difference between the two. You know what would be better? You click. What's that? You just click. Oh, okay, what do I click for? <coughs> go, go forward. You see the forward button? Oh, this one here? Yes. Okay, cool. That's a hippodrome. <coughs> where they, had, where they have uh, horse racing and chariot racing. Remember the movie Ben-Hur? It took place here at Caesarea. Well, at least in the movie. What am I not? Forward. Forward. Right. Oh, this one, there's no red button. No, it's no. That's a. It's. Uh, <laughs> boy. <laughs> that right there is great. That means go forward. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Again, they're showing you the fourth city of Caesarea. This is important. Wow. Who's that good looking at? Anyway, <laughs> this is really important. You know, I've got all, four all, of these, by the way. Yeah. You know, all all the skeptics of scripture, you know what makes a person very important? A historian or a scholar that can prove 
something wrong that you've been listening to all your life, like the Bible, especially New Testament. Everyone thinks that the New Testament is orchestrated, made up, you know, and if somebody can prove that what you've been reading is wrong, it makes them a big deal, right? That makes sense. And so we found that plot. That's a cornerstone that was found actually in the theater. It was reused as a seat later on, but it's written in Latin, and it says Tiberium, which means Tiberius, who was Caesar during the time of Christ, okay? And the name right underneath it, the Roman Judean prefect, Pontus Pilatus, Pontius Pilate. So now we know that Pontius Pilate was a real person because he's the gentleman that presided over the trial of Jesus Christ. And we found that there. Okay, that's it. Pontius Pilate. There it is written in Latin. Pontus Pilatus. Okay, this is part of Herod's palace uh, in Caesarea. Herod lived in Jerusalem. All right, and sometimes Jerusalem would get really miserable in the winters. Yes, we do have snow, and it rains and it hails, so we have like a summer home right here in Caesarea, and that, by the way, is his pool in his palace. The palace is gone, but the pool is still here. He was so eccentric that he did not want seawater in his pool, which is salt water. He had fresh water pumped into it. Okay, some of the mosaic floors. Here we go, inside the Hippodrome. You see the seats over here going all the way around. Horse racing, chariot racing. One of the good things that King Herod the Great did was he brought back the Olympics. It kind of died out. Okay, the Jews did not invent the Olympics. We invented cherry tomatoes and a cell phone. But not the Olympics. Okay? But he brought it back. In other words, he said through the Roman Empire, he said, bring back the games and instead of having a winner and a loser, we're going to have three categories. The gold, the silver, and the bronze. Here we go. This is the Hippodrome. This brought water to Caesarea, an aqueduct. Six miles long, okay? The water channels are on top. The arches go along the contours of the land. And from the point that the water goes on until the point where the water goes off, there's a differential, six miles, of 10 inches. And the water always going towards Caesarea. Still standing. Ah, we're on the road. Listen, the whole country is one big museum. Wherever you go, even when you get off the plane and you start digging, you're going to find something. So here we are. They, they widened a road up in Galilee, and then all of a sudden they came across a 2,000-year-old tomb with the rolling stone right to the, to the side of it, exactly as described in Scripture. I want you to tell everybody how magnificent a picture that is. Considering uh, you're not going to find too many of these intact in the land of Israel, because over the centuries, unfortunately, there's always been a lot of grave robbers, thinking that people were buried with their riches and everything. But here it was, by mistake, they're widening a road, and boom carved out a solid rock, the rolling stone right there. That's how people were buried 2,000 years ago, as described in scripture, exactly like this. This is probably the best example of a 2,000-year-old tomb you're going to find anywhere in the world. And by the way, in scripture, it says the stone was rolled away. I mean, that, that, I'm sorry. In scripture, it does not say it was rolled. It says it was removed. Removed. See the Galilee. 
It's a real place. It's, it's the lowest freshwater body of water in the world, 680 feet below sea level. And it's freshwater. Jordan River flows into it. Jordan River flows out of it. It provides about a third of the drinking water for the land of Israel. I don't know, about 12 miles long, eight miles wide. For you, it's a lake. And actually, it looks like a lake. But if you lived here 2,000 years ago, and you never traveled more than five miles from your house, this is a sea. <laughs> here we go along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Sunrise. That was from the Moto in the sky. Here we go. The Golan Heights, right over here. This used to be Syrian territory before June 1967. Today, the Syrian border is pushed away 15 miles towards the east. Oh, this hill now is Jordan. This is where, like, Syria and Jordan are. Mount Arbel. Uh, it's a nice place to start a tour up here because mm -hmm. you, when you get there, as you're entering Galilee, and you look down from there, going, you, you're going. looking at the three years of the ministry of Christ. Everything, Capernaum, Chorazim, the way of the sea, everything that's mentioned in scripture, right below you. There it is again. We hiked it. <laughs> right below you, right there, is the town called Magdala. Who came from Magdala, anybody know? Mary, Mary Magdalene. And that was a hotel that we stayed at. <coughs> the home of Mary Magdalene. That's another photo. That's <laughs> 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 We're doing dinner tonight. <laughs> but take a look right over here. You know, you got Capernaum, you got Chorazim, you have Beit Seda. The triangle of all the places that Christ taught is right below you, right here. That's a good view. This is it. This is Talk about that road right there. Yeah, by the way, this road here is really important. Also mentioned in Isaiah and also the book of Matthew. This road here is actually part of the coastal road coming up from Egypt, going all along the Mediterranean, turning into Galilee, following along the western shores of the Sea of Galilee. It will cross the Jordan River and become the road to Damascus, the most important trade route in the world for 5,000 years. Okay. It was known by the Romans as the Via Maris, the way of the sea. And this is why Christ picked Capernaum to be his base of operations for three years. Jesus was, wasn't the disciple. He, wasn't, he didn't go about spreading the word. He had people doing that for him. He stayed at Capernaum. So how did anyone know who he was and what he was doing? Because everyone who traveled that road, which means like everybody, would pass by the gates of Capernaum and witness and see the miracles of Christ. This was his communication network. That is why he picked this area to be the base camp of his ministry for nearly three years. There it is, the way of the sea. I did that for Dale. St. Peter's. Did you put a shekel in its mouth or anything? A coin? Yeah, tilapia, by the way. Not farmed in China and coming here in one-third water. This was actually caught that morning in the Sea of Galilee. So it tastes a little bit different than you get in the supermarkets here. Okay, this is a picture. Sea of Galilee. Boy, red. Check this out. This was his town. Capernaum. For nearly three years, the base of operations of Jesus. 
That's the outlines of the synagogue that's outside. These are the ruins of the community, as you can see. This was a fishing village. It was a place where the apostles lived, although some of them were actually born in Beit Seda, which is nearby. Matthew. It would seem natural that, that, uh, that Matthew would have his uh, um, tax booth somewhere here, because this was the last town on the Via Maris before it became another province. The other province was the province of Syria, which was also ruled by Herod. And it would make sense that he would have his customs booth right there on the road. Will you explain these? These over here are the residences of the people who lived in Capernaum. These are the foundations and the walls of the people who lived here 2,000 years ago. Okay, this has all been excavated, all of this that you can see here. Yeah, that's the community of um, Capernaum. And you may also notice that most of the stone that you see here is the local rock in this in the particular area of Galilee, volcanic rock, basalt. Here, you can see. At one point, many, many years ago, the Catholic Church started telling everybody that this is the, the synagogue of, of Jesus. Well, as guides, we know it can't be because it's Byzantine. That's fourth century. But we made the Vatican correct themselves because the foundation stone of the existing synagogue is made of basalt, and that's first century. First century is when Christ was there. Okay, this is a 2,000-year-old boat that was found off the coast of Magdala. It was found by mistake during a year of a, of a drought. Two kibbutz members were walking around, they saw some wood protruding. It took quite a bit of time to get it out of that muddy grave by the Sea of Galilee and finding ways to preserve it. It took them nearly 20 years to preserve the wood, and now it's on display. This is a fishing boat from 2,000 years ago. You know, recently it's been nicknamed the boat of Jesus, the Jesus boat, okay? And I tell everybody that when we're there, what are the chances that Christ was actually in this boat? There were many boats on the Sea of Galilee. I tell them 50-50, either he was or he wasn't. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's another view of Galilee That's from here. Isn't that Carmel? Mm, yes, we're standing upon Mount Carmel. It's a bit of a misty day, but we're looking into the uh, uh, the the Jezreel Valley, or also what's going to be known as the Valley of Armageddon. Right there. So we were standing on the highest peak. We don't know exactly where Elijah battled the guards of Baal, but that's where we did our teaching, right up there, overlooking the Valley of Armageddon. That's a good picture. Okay, one thing. Ah, oh, this is another theater. This theater is in the town of of Beit Shan. You got to read 1 Samuel, the last chapter. I believe it's chapter 39 or 29. Well, it's the last chapter. And it talks about all the things that befell Saul and his sons while they were fighting the Philistines and how the Philistines had them beheaded and they hung their headless bodies from the walls of Beit Shan. It occurred here 3,000 years ago. Okay. <laughs> this is this could be kind of interesting. And, and, and I, when I show this to everybody, they think it's a joke. People had to go to the bathroom 2,000 years ago, <laughs> right? Whether we like it or not. You didn't just go outside and do whatever you like. They had toilets. They had running water. They had underground plumbing. They really did. The Romans took care of all their sanitary needs. This is a public restroom right here. So 
what you would do is keep going, keep going. Well, well, <laughs> you would sit in between these two stones, okay? And there was water running all the time underneath, and there was a way to cleanse yourself and sanitize yourself and wash up. This is a 2,000 year old public toilet that was used by the Romans. Okay, this is another view of a colonnaded street. What if I told you that up until 30 years ago, from here onwards, this was all landfill. It was the parking area for the buses. They uncovered all of this like in the last 30 years. This is the town of uh, Beit Shan. This is Beit Shan. Yeah. Notice some of the rocks are wider than the others. <laughs> there's, there's different sizes. Yeah. I'm wondering if they had like a magazine rack back then. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, you, left the, you left the toilet. Who's the Cosmo girl? Okay. Mosaic floors almost everywhere. Looking around, still preserved. The columns, by the way, were replaced, you know, put back up. This is a town that was hit by a big time earthquake in the year 740. Big time earthquake. Archaeologists say anyway between an eight and a nine on the Richter scale. Nothing stood. Here we go. Colonnaded Broad Street. By the way, the hill up there, but if you take away all this soil, there's a walled city. This was the walled city that Solomon's sons were hung from, right up there. Caesarea Philippi, one of the sources of the Jordan River, as you can see right here. The water, by the way, is actually coming out from underneath the ground. It's the melted snow from Mount Hermon, which is just above us, and that's the highest peak in Israel, 9,600 feet above sea level. Today, it's, it has about 20 feet of packed snow, and the snow will remain there all through the summer. There we go. The melted snows. This is one of the three sources of the Jordan. The Jordan is actually three tributaries forming one. Cold water, but a lot of brown trout. There you go. We actually visited two of the main sources of the Jordan. Ah, you know, this, when Jesus approaches Peter and tells him who he is, and he says, and the gates of hell, well, by the way, this was a pagan Greek site originally. And they believed that inside this gate, down below the water, were the gates of Hades. And they would make sacrifices to appease the gods of, of death. And there were all these pagan niches up here where uh, they had pagan statues standing. Pan. So, you know, so again, Pan. So, like when Jesus talks about the gates of hell and this stone, and you know, you'll be known as a tetra, meaning the good stone, and these are the bad stones. This is where it will happen. This is where he admits who he is and what's going to happen. Again, this is the pagan part of the site. The pagan site was actually called Panyas, named after Pan. <coughs> half goat, half boy, played the flute, had little horns on his head. Here's the other source of the Jordan, look at that. This is the dam. They say the rate that this water is moving, it can fill up a tour bus in four seconds. And that's constant all year round. Once again, the melted snows of the Golan. This is also one of the waterfalls of the dam. These are all the sources of the Jordan, which will flow into the Sea of Galilee. 
that is this is the baptismal site that we go to. Now this ain't the baptismal site where John the Baptist was. He was all the way down in the Judean wilderness. But it became a border area, an area of strife after 1967. It was the border between Israel and Jordan. Now we have peace with Jordan, and people can go to the original site, but this site here happens to be more aesthetic. Okay? This is the Jordan as it's flowing out of the Sea of Galilee. And this is where many people like to come to be baptized. Okay, here we are back up at Dan. Well, it's not the tribal allotment of Dan, but they're going to call it Dan because of certain things that happen in Scripture. As you know that when Abraham comes into the land, he will enter through the gates of the Canaanite city up here. Uh, that's actually mentioned in Scripture by the name of Leshem or Leish. Uh, Leshem or Leish. And they call this gate the gate of Abraham. This gate here is over 4,000 years old, part of a Canaanite city. And the arch around it is the, is the oldest still intact arch of any ancient city in the world. More than any places you'll find uh, in Iraq or in Persia, this is the oldest. This is part of an ancient temple that was originally Canaanite and then used later on by the kings of Israel. Remember, they did evil in the eyes of God where they took away the importance of Jerusalem and they started doing sacrifice someplace else. Remember, during the time of Rehoboam Golden Jeroboam. This is a very old olive tree in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, the trees here aren't 2,000 years old, but they could very well be the offspring of the trees that witnessed the act. These trees are about 1,200 years old. By the way, the term Gethsemane, we look upon that as the name of a garden. It's actually what the garden is. Because in Hebrew, the term Gethsemane is Gatshmane. So Latinized, it sounds Gethsemane. And it literally means olive press, or the oil press. This is the garden of the oil press, right at the foot of the Mount of Olives. Yeah, these are very old trees. By the way, they still produce olives. This territory is owned by the Vatican, so I'm going to assume that whatever olive oil they make will probably be used as anointing oil at the Vatican in Rome. Or field tablets. Okay. <laughs> um, again, we can see the, the tree. Whatever oil is left over, right? You can take a look. They don't allow people to walk about in these areas. There is a private garden that we go to, which is on the side. Uh, it doesn't. We don't know exactly which part of the garden it all happened in. But we have our own private garden that we do on the tour, and we walk about. We have people walk about, sit by the trees, prayer. We do our teaching in a place like this. I just did this for fun. What is this? Oh, that's just a bunch of girls up on your outpost. Go, go to the next one. Okay. You see a girl oh, okay. with an oh, M16 nice. strapped down. This is a, uh, an Israeli outpost overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Here, of all things, we stayed at a, at a hotel in, in what the remains of the town of Mandala, which was a fishing village also during the time of Christ. And if you recall, when Jesus leaves Nazareth, it says that he went about Galilee and taught in all the synagogues. By the way, up until today, this is the only first century synagogue, meaning from the town of Christ, that was uncovered here in the town of Mantua. So this room that you see here, he was standing here. He was standing here for sure. 
And this is like part of a dais where they would take the Torah scrolls and put them down and read scripture. Talk so we were there, right there. Talk a little bit about the new synagogue that you just found 650 people. Um, the, this synagogue here? Yeah. Okay, this synagogue that we found, by the way, was found by mistake. There was a mall outside and it started to spread. And the worst nightmare that can happen to a contractor happened. They broke ground and they, got, and they found ruins. This ain't your property anymore. Now belongs to the government. Okay? And we uncovered um, the floor and the base and the seating arrangement of a first century synagogue. A synagogue that Jesus was in. We found also the residential area with the ritual baths, the mikvah, the seven steps going down into a ritual bath. We found all of this here. And there's no levels of civilization. The city was built in the beginning of the first century AD. It was destroyed in the middle of the first century AD and just waited for us to show up. Okay, that's why this, we, and we walk about here, we do a teaching here, fabulous. You know, you feel that electricity that you walk into a building where actually he stood in the teaching, right here. Do as they say, but don't do as they do. I don't know if you remember, Jesus walks into a synagogue in the town of Chorazin, which is one of the three places where he was like the guest speaker one day. But this is a seat that's always left aside for guest speakers to come into a synagogue, okay? And kind of always, Sarcastically, he calls it the seat of Moses. Moses, of course, is the person of authority. But then any person who visits a synagogue will sit in the seat of authority when he goes inside. And it gets down on the Pharisees because what they do is they show off their love of God. They show off how religious they are by putting their phylacteries on and their prayer shawls and walking around town. So he says to them, do what they say, but don't do what they do. So this is the, the seat of Moses that we have at the synagogue, the ruins of the synagogue in the town of Corazino. All right, now we're on top of the Mount of Olives. No, actually we're looking from... That might be yeah, Scott. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. No, the Mount of Olives, looking at the Temple Mount. That platform that's right beyond that wall is really the only thing that's left standing in Jerusalem from the time of King Herod the Great and from... Jesus. Because don't forget, Jerusalem is a city that's been rebuilt and destroyed 17 times in the last 3,000 years. The last person to rebuild the city and build the walls was the Ottoman Turkish Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent. May Muhammad bless his beard. Okay? But he was the last one to rebuild the walls and gates of the city. But the platform where actually Mount Moriah is and first temple and second temple is still standing. Uh, over the centuries, of course, the, the Muslims declared this to be the third <coughs> holiest site in Islam, and they built the Dome of the Rock, which is a shrine which they believe that Muhammad ascends to heaven. But whether or not you believe that or not, what it's standing on is the actual platform built by King Herod the Great where the second temple stood. Here we are. Uh, we're, we're literally walking upon a 2,000-year-old street. You can see signs of destruction. All of this was up there, all right? And this is very close to where the steps of the temple was, and the steps are still there. Of all the places that we go to in <coughs> Jerusalem, we can sit on those steps and stand there and say, wow, Jesus was here. This is where he entered the temple, and this is where he taught. He would sit on the steps and speak to people, and we were actually on those steps. 
we found a cornerstone that was up in the corner where the temple was. You know, back in the day, they didn't have electricity, obviously. If they wanted to call in a, a, a holiday or a Sabbath, they had one of the servants of the Levites stand there with a trumpet or a shofar, a ram's horn, and he would call in. People could hear him from all over the city. Then you know that the Sabbath began. And we found this corner piece that fell down from the corner, and it says in Hebrew, from the place of the trumpeting. That's a 2,000-year-old inscription right there. Here again, we're taking a look at the ruins about. Here we're standing by the western wall. The western wall is not part of the temple. It is part of the retaining wall going around the temple mount. But as time went about, and the Jews were never allowed to come up and pray by the ruins of anything, Jews were not allowed to go on the temple mount. So they had to find some place where our occupiers would allow us to pray. Because after the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in the year 70 AD, we were ruled by foreigners in our own land. Israel only became back in our possession in 1948, whereas in Jerusalem, 1967. Up until then, whatever foreigners ruled Jerusalem or Israel, the only place they allowed us to pray was part of an exposed wall of the retaining wall of the temple area. And that is the way we were right now. This is the entryway to an important church. Now, during the time of Christ, where this church is standing right now, it's, it was outside the walls of the city, and the area was known as a public execution area. That is where people were crucified. It wasn't on a bare hill someplace like you see in paintings. No, it was right next to a main entryway into a main gate into the city. It was there as a warning by the Romans. Toe the line. So if you have ill intent in mind, you're going to change yourself, your, your mind too sweet the moment that you see a rotted corpse hanging from a cross. So 2,000 years ago, where this church is standing today, was a site of crucifixion. Later on, Hadrian, the Roman emperor, encased this portion within the walls of the city, and to erase the importance of the site of crucifixion, he builds there a pagan temple to Venus, like desecrating the site. So therefore, when Queen Helena, the mother of Constantine, who legalized Christianity, came to the city looking for places concerning the life and death of Christ, all she had to do was look for some place that was a cover-up of Hadrian. She tears down the pagan temple, and she builds the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Now, there is a dome inside here, a sepulchre, which covers an old tomb, and, and she believed that that was the tomb that Christ was temporarily placed into. As far as the world is concerned, from that point on to today, this is the, holy, the holiest site on earth. Every Christian pilgrim for the last 1,500 years, the aim of his coming to Jerusalem was to come to this church, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. You may be taken aback when you're going inside with the smell of incense everywhere and all the bleeding statues and having six different denominations inside that don't get along, but whether you like that or you don't like that, the location is correct. Talk about that ladder. Well, this ladder, but because this, everyone inside that church thinks that their chapel, their corner is more important than everyone else. Greek Orthodox, Greek Catholic, Armenian Orthodox, Armenian Catholic, Coptic, Ethiopian, and Latin. They don't get along. You can't do anything inside this church without the permission of someone else, and they'll never give you permission. Okay? So with that in mind, Okay, when the Muslims took the city again back in the 12th century, 
so there wouldn't be a lot of animosity and wars amongst different churches, Saladin um, said, you know what? Everybody here can worship the way they wish, but because of this bickering that's going on inside the church, no one's holding the key. No one owns this church. I own it. So today, until today, there's a Muslim family for the last 900 years, and that family has the keys to the church, and they open and close every day. Okay, but here, back in around 1850, 1855, the Catholic Church wanted to do some repairs. And the Greek Orthodox Church said, who gave you permission to do repairs? Well, someone has to do repairs, but why do you have to do it? Fighting back and forth, you can't do it. So therefore, the ladder that they brought up back in 1855 is still standing there. No one removes the ladder. <laughs> is it below the window? Uh, right below the window, yes. Yeah. I'll go back. Take a look. See, so it's a wooden. They must have made very good ladders back then because it's still standing there with the rain and everything. Unless somebody okay. had the ladder and no one knows about it. What's that? Five minutes. Go quickly. Five minutes. Okay, let's go. Standing on top of the Mount of Olives. Okay, let Bonnie tell about this. What's that? Let Bonnie tell. You got 30 seconds to tell us. What happened here? Some. I yes. guess Palestinian yes, yes. women were having a picnic and one in our group started talking and the next thing you know they're sharing their picnic with us on the Temple Mount. And, yeah. and a uh, week later two people were killed. Two Jews were killed on the Temple Mount. So they shared their food with <coughs> us and one was a 14 year old <coughs> what was her name? Leanne. And she's still my Facebook friend. She's her Facebook <laughs> friend. But it was highly unusual for them to interact with us. Right. And I forget what that place right there behind Okay, there's like a little dome over here. The Muslims tend to be very superstitious. Now this dome is exactly opposite the eastern gate. And again, if any of you have come to Israel, we see a model of Jerusalem. The temple actually stood right opposite the eastern gate. And maybe the... The Arabs know of something that's below ground, but they call this little dome the Dome of the Spirits. Okay? But it's, that's not very uncommon of having a Palestinian community being friendly. You know, everyone hears the term Palestinian, they think everybody's a terrorist. No, no, no. It's extremists on both sides, and there happened to be an occurrence of an extremist who decided uh, to stab a few people. Look at the blog for the, for the Bronx of Brooklyn. It's worse there than it is here. <laughs> okay, here we are standing by uh, the Dome of the Rock. All right. Um, Oshuary. Where is this? Oshuary. Oh, these are ossuaries. These are how people were buried. Once they were inside the burial tomb and decomposed, then the rolling stone was removed, and the bones were put inside these clay ossuaries that you see over here. Here's a bunch more right there. We noticed something very irregular about the carvings that were on it. Sometimes they carve a person's name or what they did, but in about 70% of the ossuaries here was the name Yeshua. Now, Yeshua literally translated in Hebrew was Joshua, and in Greek, Jesus. Not that every, and Joshua was a very common name, but I don't think everybody was buried here was a Joshua. It could be that these people 2,000 years ago were Judo Christians, and they were commemorating the name of Yeshua. Here's a star of David that we found uh, on a floor, <coughs> on, on a uh, mosaic floor. 
his more mosaic floors? Ela. Ela Valley. This is where David fought the lion. Mm -hmm. And here we are in the Ela Valley. One hill mentioned in scripture where the Philistine army was. Here, I, can you go back to that for a second? I just want to show you a little bit. So you see all the people standing up on the ridge? Those are all the people from Fellowship Bible doing the teaching. All the people down in the ditch, down in the creek, are our creek people. Collecting rocks. <laughs> we wanted our five stones to thank God. Yeah. <laughs> is the Engedi waterfall? Yes, Engedi is an oasis in the in the in the desert area. I did that because Josh wants to build this right out there. He wants to build a first-century synagogue. This is in Nazareth. This is in Nazareth. Yeah. I did that just for fun. <laughs> okay, here they're walking through a, uh, a, a water channel in uh, Megiddo. Yeah. This is another water channel. This is Hezekiah's tunnel. And that's Steve Adams. Right? Hezekiah's tunnel. That's the <laughs> Here we are in, in uh, the wilderness of uh, Judea, Engedi. Uh, I mean, we'll, uh, we'll never know which of these caves. Uh, yeah, but this is the wilderness. This is the, the Dead Sea. 34% salt. And here we have the runny water uh, in the fresh water at Engedi. Spring this is of the, the wild goats. Yeah, this is the spring of the wild. This is where David, hiding in a cave, will approach Saul and cut off the corner of his cloak. Remember, the corner of his cloak is the sign of authority. And then he'll come up and say to him, you know, who am I to, to kill the God's anointed? That's where kind of Saul and David make peace with each other. That's it. You have to go. Holy Father, I just thank you for this morning. I'm just so thankful that Ronnie was able to share his gift and speak. And uh, just hopefully that it puts some kind of spark in everyone's mind to, to go and make a pilgrimage there and bring us closer to what uh, what you would want us to see about what Jesus did in his life and bring the Bible to our Father. Thank you for this day, Jesus. Amen.